Hello, welcome to A Leader Like Me podcast, where we will be amplifying diverse voices. My name is Advita Patel. And I'm Priya Bates, and we're co-founders of A Leader Like Me. We really hope you enjoy this listen. This week, we're talking to Rahul Sood. Raul is the CEO of Irreverent Labs, a venture-backed gaming studio with a mission to build insanely fun, highly intelligent, 100-year entertainment experiences on blockchain. In the earlier years of Raul's career, he developed the first seed funding and startup investment program at Microsoft, which grew into Microsoft Ventures Incubator Program and still operates today. I know Rahul when Hewlett Packard, HP Canada, actually purchased his gaming company called Voodoo PCs way back in the early 2000s. Rahul had started that business when he was 19 years old and sold it to HP in his 20s. So it was wonderful for us to have the opportunity to connect with him. So when we think about that interview, Advita, what was your favorite part? Oh, you know what, Rahul, absolutely made me think a lot around the technology that he's involved in. And I've been doing lots of investigation around Bitcoin and blockchain and NFTs. There's so many acronyms. And we'll we'll, we'll spell out these acronyms for, for you folks who are like me, who, who, do, who doesn't quite understand what they mean in the show notes. But one bit that I really enjoyed about Rahul's interview was his, when he shared the story about failure, Right. And we talk about failing quite a lot in our community, like you have to fail in order to learn. And Rahul really embraced that. And and when he spoke about having that supportive community around him and not fearing that failure, because I do think the world that he's in, but also the world that we're all in, I suppose, we need to, you know, in order for us to move forward and to progress, we do need to fail at some point. Otherwise, you never learn, right, Priya? You're like continuously you don't progress. You're, you're, you're scared to move forward. You, you sometimes get stuck in a role that you don't want to do or a job that's not make, bringing you joy. And the risk and the fear of failing can really stop us, stop us in our tracks. Well, when you think of Rahul, you really think of innovation. He's always been innovative. And my favorite part of the interview was he talked about the reason he was innovative was because he listened and connected to young people. They was never afraid to learn new things. And where he found that learning were through his children and through people who were younger who were really paying attention to what was changing. I love that. That was that was inspiring. And we always say, you know, when we talk about community and a leader like me, we talk about expanding that community, right? Looking outside of your circles. And even in terms of equity, diversity, and inclusion, who are the people that you surround yourself with on a day-to-day basis and who are giving you support? And if they look like you, if they talk like you, if they have the same background as you, are you actually learning? And I think Rahul's experiences and the successes he's had demonstrates how big his circle is and where he gets his influences from. And if you do enjoy this interview, then please do show him some love on his socials. His handles are in our show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode or the episode before, then please do leave us a review on a device where you can leave reviews or please do DM us as well. We'd love to hear from you in terms of what you loved about the episodes. You can find us at A Leader Like Me if you follow those uh, social handles on any of those social media platforms.
If you're a woman of color who is looking to build courage and confidence, join The Nest, a safe and supportive community that will help you progress in your career. You can find out more at aleaderlikeme.com. Hi, Rahul. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for agreeing to be part of this conversation. We're very excited to talk with you today. Uh, When Priya shared with me your CV or resume, as, as some people might call it, I was just blown away with your accolades and achievements and the work you've done in a in the technology space in particular. And I wondered if you could kick off this conversation by sharing with us what inspired you, or you know, as you were growing up in, in Canada, what was your kind of greatest inspiration that led you to sell your first organization uh, business to HP? And, and how did you get there? Oh man, that's a that's a hard question. Uh, I, I guess um, you know I, I would just say what what inspired me to start the business first was was just the the necessity of needing to get off the couch and do something, I suppose. And I guess like school just wasn't my thing. You know, after high school, I, I was done. I, I done I, not that I didn't do well. I did amazing in school, but I, I I just didn't see myself spending another number of years in in university trying to figure out what to do next. Um, so I, I really just got you know, into gaming because it's something that I love to do. And, um, and, and over time, I sort of self-taught as a mechanical engineer, designer, hardware designer, liquid cooling, you know, that sort of stuff. I sort of learned it over time. And uh, we ended up building a, a, just a, a great brand. Probably like my, my biggest inspiration was, was my dad. Uh, he was an entrepreneur. Uh, and you know, I I I grew up watching him uh, do really great things and and really not so great things. Uh, and he had ups and downs. Um, but um, you know, when he was when when he was driving and and doing really well, it was uh, it was it was exciting. So it was always interesting uh, watching him. And and I think that's kind of what what made me into an entrepreneur. So growing up in Alberta, in Canada. Um, in the, it would have been the 90s, I guess, 80s, 90s. Uh, and you're into gaming uh, from a South Asian family. What, uh, what were the impacts? You talked about your father being an entrepreneur. Were there any pressures to do something different? Or did you always know what you wanted to do? No, my, my parents were actually pretty pretty chill. Um, my my mom was probably the more you know aggressive one. She wanted me to go become an accountant. <laughs> I don't know why, because she knew she she knew for sure there's no way this kid's ever going to be a doctor, like not smart enough. So so she gave me the accountant label, and uh, and I just said like there's just there's just absolutely no way I'm doing that. And and, and my dad really couldn't say much. I mean, it wasn't like he like he he knew being an entrepreneur what it's like that sort of thing. So I think he saw that in me. Um, so they just let me do whatever I wanted to do, and uh, and and yes, I, I did grow up with. Uh, I, I think I, I I grew up in an area that was not very diverse, and um, you know it, it was Calgary, so it wasn't like a big tech hub or anything like that. But the one thing that my parents did do was they 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 bought me a computer at an early age and let me do whatever I wanted with it. Um, you know, I I set up bulletin board systems. I had modems you know hooked up people were dialing into this system and it was like a mess message board at the time uh, and i had like three phone lines in the house hooked up to this they let me do all kinds of crazy shit that you know most 
South Asian parents would never allow. So yeah, it was pretty fun uh, growing up. I just, I love, you know, it's so funny when you share the story about South Asian parents and having this aspiration for their children. You know, I can resonate with that story when my parents wanted me quite clearly, you know, not having the qualifications to go into medicine, then pushing me into accountancy and then accountancy wasn't going to be a great thing for me either. So they tried to push me into IT uh, at the time, which I did go into actually. So I ended up doing IT. It was it was like the saviour subject for me with my parents because I, I kind of disappointed them a little bit. And the fact that your parents kind of gave you this the resources and the tools to, I suppose, achieve the dream, you know, like, like Priya, you know, before, just offline before we press record on this, Priya said that you've always been ahead of the curve. Have you kind of felt that in yourself? Like, have you always had that kind of future mindset? And if so, what, what kind of got you to that future thinking? Well, I, I would say over time, it's definitely been more into the future just because of kids. Like, you know, as we, as, uh, as I got married, we had kids just watching my kids grow up and what they're into. I got into what they're into. Um, and, and, and I learn a lot from my kids. Uh, in, in fact, um, you know, after, after the whole HP thing, I, I joined Microsoft, moved to Seattle and, uh, started, uh, Microsoft ventures. And during that time, I would spend a lot of time with startups in different parts of the world, learning about what they're doing, um, you know, learning about new innovations. But my son, who was really into, you know, video games, he, he was telling me about esports, and I should I should get into esports. So eventually, I left Microsoft to start an esports company. Um, you know, after I spent some time with him in his world, and that sort of got me kind of thinking far into the future, thinking about what what the younger generation is doing now, and then what generations under them are also doing, kind of thing. So that that was a really interesting way to kind of look into the future, and then. You know, the other thing about just just opportunities for my kids in general, moving to Seattle was a big deal uh, because in Calgary, as I mentioned, it wasn't it wasn't like the hub for technology or anything, at least at the time. I think we were the we were like the biggest success story in tech in Calgary being acquired by this massive company out of Palo Alto. Um, Moving to Seattle has given them exposure that they never would have had. They've met some amazing uh, kids in the community, just just to give you some idea, I mean, we've got Microsoft here, Amazon, uh, you know, the headquarters for Nordstrom and Costco and Boeing, and then you know, on top of that, there's a number of biotech companies here, and uh, and then you've got Facebook and Google opening up big centers here, and so my kids have been exposed to some unbelievable kids and families. And you know, my my father used to always say, "Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future." And that's kind of uh, that's kind of how things have have have, uh, have shaped the way I think as well. I love that, and you were able to give them those opportunities, just like your parents were able to give you the opportunities by because they immigrated to Canada, right? Yeah, that's right. So my parents immigrated to Canada, and yeah, and I think uh, just them allowing me to do what I wanted to do or what I was. What I was uh, passionate about was great. You know, obviously a little bit of guidance would be nice, especially nowadays. Like kids can be passionate about a lot of things, but giving them a little bit of guidance, having them surrounded by the right people makes a big difference. For for me growing up, I guess I, I got I was a little lucky, um, you know, getting into the right thing at the right time. But but it's it's not always been like that. It's not always luck that gets you there. You know. Well, I always, my, the quote that I share all the time is Oprah saying, there's no such thing as luck. Luck is actually opportunity meeting preparedness. 
uh, and you need both pieces for what people call lucky. Uh, and I'd, I'd be interested in that. Like, what do you think that you did to prepare for the opportunities that were ahead of you? Well, I mean, you were 20, 20 something when you started Voodoo. 19, yeah. 19 yeah. when you started Voodoo. You were probably in your 30s when Hewlett Packard came calling and purchased yep. what they considered the best gaming computer out there. That's what I heard when I was yeah. working for the organization. And then you stepped into this new space. What Talk to me about preparing for that. Well, okay. So just going back to the luck thing, look, I, I, I believe in a little bit of luck um, in the sense that, you know, we're lucky that we live here on this side of the world and we weren't born into poverty, you know, elsewhere, right? I think that's a big challenge is just being given opportunities. And so uh, I think that um, being on this side of the world is an opportunity. And then, and then just like being in areas where opportunities just grow is another thing that, uh, that creates circumstances and, and, and can open up doors and get you thinking and, and that sort of thing. So, so there's a bit of luck involved, but, but then preparedness is, is exactly that. It's surrounding yourself with the right people, being empathetic, going into organizations with a level of humility, which I did not learn when I was at HP, basically my first real job, but just uh, spending time kind of listening to others and, and learning from others makes a, makes a big difference. Microsoft was a, was a massive change for me. It was, it was amazing. It was probably the best move I've ever made, met some incredibly smart people and brilliant minds. And then, you know, given the opportunity to, to start Microsoft Ventures and, and travel the world and learn from other startups and different ecosystems was pretty amazing. Yeah, it, it's, it, was, uh, it was quite a journey. And, you know, sort of looking into the future as to where things are going, trend spotting was, was, a, was a big deal. But not just spotting the trend, but figuring out how to execute in that area was, was also kind of a big deal. Unicorn, my company was in esports, and you know we were in esports before other companies were even thinking about it. You know, and I think there was like two people at Microsoft that were looking at esports, and it became such a big deal. And uh, we started building on blockchain in 2014 and 2015. We built a we built a token economy. You know, I I've been long Bitcoin for many years. I've always believed in Bitcoin, and I and I sort of believe in the future of cryptocurrencies. Even though they've been sort of very volatile, I still believe there's a massive future here. So it, I guess just being in the space and learning from others in the space is, is kind of what, what, what got me you know, to where we are today. And I suppose part of that, Raoul, is risk, right? So you've got to be, you've got to be pretty courageous and not, not be too risk adverse with taking some of the chances that you've spoken about. Because you know when 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 we speak about uh, when we hear other folks talk about blockchain and NFTs and all those kind of acronyms that are out there, it is risky, like you said. So I suppose my question to you is, where do you get your courage from? What is what what makes you courageous in in taking that leap into a quite a risky or you know uncertain future in in some of these kind of tech things that you've mentioned? Yeah, I mean, you know, over time your risk tolerance becomes less as you have kids and you're you know. You're, you establish yourself, but you know my, my risk tolerance has always been high. I've been a bit of a, a gambler uh, in many ways, and um, and I just learned that from my dad. Like he was a high flyer. He he went bankrupt a couple times. Uh, you know he he tried things and he failed quickly. For me, trying and failing quickly is important, but it's also like forcing failure as quickly as possible, so you, it doesn't cost you too much, and then you can kind of move on to the next thing or learn from it. It, I guess it depends on what, how you think about risk. You know, a lot of people think that 
um, it's it's less risky working in a big company. And I, and I'm sure Priya will tell you, you know, that's probably not true. You know, because you could go to a big company and there could be a reorg, you know, in ten months, and then and then you're like, I don't have a job anymore, so you got to go look for another job inside of the big company. Like to me, that seems risky. You know, at the same time, you have to go and build new relationships. You know, uh, every time something some major change happens in the big company, so there's always a risk. You go on vacation and you come back and your job is gone. You know, that's a risk. <laughs> So, um, you know, versus being 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 an entrepreneur, your 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 risk is 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 only as high as your reward. So, I, I don't know how to think about risk. I, I I just think of it as it's 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 an everyday thing for me. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it does it does help, doesn't it? I suppose when you have a, a, a like you know your dad was an entrepreneur and and you saw him succeed and fail. And we always say in our membership in a leader like me membership with our community that there's nothing wrong with failure. You know, when we seem to have this kind of resistance to it and we feel like we have to be perfect. And I do think some of that is down to the fact pressures. You know, if you if you haven't grown up with parents who do have that growth mindset and entrepreneurial kind of, you know, behavior and you do have parents who, who are quite like, you know, go and do this and do this. And there's a, a kind of a process to follow. Then you are a bit more risk averse and you're like, oh, I need to just do this and I need to do that. And we always say to our community, it's critical that you know you embrace failure because you can't progress and you know Priya's one of Priya's favorite sayings which I've now adopted is you know progress over perfection and I think what you've just shared there it's about trying things out failing quickly learning and then moving on and that's what gives you the opportunities right and we spoke about opportunities versus luck in in, in sense and I completely resonate with you about we're privileged to be born in the places that we've been born based on our parents' sacrifice to make sure, you know, we have a better future than what they did in, in essence. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. You know, another thing about just parenting in general, I have three kids, by the way. Um, and, you know, a lot of people in the South Asian community think that you got to send your kids to private school, the best schools, and they spend all this money. Uh, it, especially when you live in a nice city, like you don't need to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I was always a believer that your your future is is defined by the people you surround yourself with. So therefore, if you live in a in a in a decent city and you have a you know a reasonable neighborhood, I think charter schools are better than private schools. And I and the reason I say charter schools is because you can pick a charter that aligns with what your kids are interested in, like say arts or STEM or whatever. And then people from all walks of life go to that school. So there are haves and haves nots in that school, you know, and they and they become friends with all kinds of people, you know, rich mm-hmm. people, poor people, you know, and um, and that's important. It's important to see, you know, what it's like to be just a person inside of a of an organization or a school and make friends with all those types of people. Versus if you send them to an elite school where you know the kids come from elite parents with lots of money and they're all rich kids what you end up with is is kids that probably need coddling and a little bit more guidance and you know when they go to university they're 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 forced to think that their grades nothing else matters but grades um and maybe they're less well-rounded and and uh and they and they and they struggle especially in their first year or two you know in in university they'll struggle they may come back they might quit and so i i i do think that uh the 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 way that we the, the, the lessons that we give our kids, basically, we just kind of got to think back to when we were growing up, you know, what mm-hmm. what shaped us. And then, you know, uh, and then rather than trying to dictate what they do, we kind of need to keep an open mind. 
I love that, Ro. I, I love uh, I, your philosophies are so similar to mine uh, from a, a children's perspective as well. We were in the same situation with uh, having an opportunity to choose the private school, but being really uh, focused on the public schools and looking at those specialties. And the most, the best part of that is the empathy that is built with the kids, uh, they, they understand the what challenges others are facing, even though they're surrounded in our neighborhood by people who aren't facing those challenges. And that's made a big difference in terms of building future thinkers and future human beings that we want to be proud to have raised. So, so I love that you're saying that. You talked a lot about failure. You've worked with entrepreneurs, and I know part of what you do is you you go in and help organizations and and new startups. Uh, we hear stats like fifty percent of new companies fail in the first year or two. Um, what are you seeing? What do you think is um, is more helps people be more likely to achieve or stay with entrepreneurship or be successful versus what do you see when uh, you see those organizations failing? Do you have any insights on that? Yeah, like I think the well, a, a few things. Um, first off, if if they're if they're not able to articulate a vision and how they'll get there within like one page, then then that's a problem. Uh, so that's sort of a red flag. The other thing is. Uh, you can have an entrepreneur that has a really great idea and is able to articulate it, but they have nobody that works with them. And so they they want to hire vendors to do it. And that's a huge red flag because it tells you that they're not able to inspire others to, to join them on their journey. You know, so so that's obviously an important factor, uh, being able to surround yourself with creative people and engineers that can take your vision um, and uh, and execute on it. And, uh, you know, the other thing is sort of like as as an entrepreneur, you should be willing to kind of make the sacrifice to go build something before you go and ask people for money. You shouldn't go to your friends and family and raise money so you can pay yourself an income to to create what you want to create because that just that 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 means that you're not ready uh, to to jump out and take the risk and do it. So those are sort of like three areas that I look at. Uh, basically, you know, the uh, the ability to articulate a vision, the ability to inspire others to join you on that journey. And then the last thing is sort of like build something before you go out and raise cash is probably you. So true. You know, the number of, I've been, you know, in entrepreneur world in, only in the last two years. So I I, I thought, I'm, I'm not as future thinking as you, Rahul, because I actually thought 2020 was going to be a great year to start a new business. And uh, two months later, the pandemic hit. So, you know, I lived and learned though, and it's about failure, right? What you, what you said. So it's it's quite an interesting, uh, what you just shared with me is, is something that I have seen many entrepreneurs do and fail. Yeah. And, you know, when I was panicking around, you know, when the pandemic hit and I was looking for advice and guidance, I kind of initially fell for those quick, you know, earn six figures in one week kind of time during covid and, and it's weird how your mind plays tricks on you when things like that happen. So the advice that you've just shared there is, is solid advice based on my very limited experience in entrepreneurship. Uh, and I think, it, you know, you're right in terms of bringing people along with you on the journey. And I think one of the skills that I've noticed in successful entrepreneurs is being able to lead and empower and instigate innovation in others, right? So they can help you thrive as, long, as, as as much as you can help them thrive. Also, when in good times and in bad, right? So when the, when the when the market turns, 
being able to to keep people inspired and to keep things on the rails, even though behind closed doors you might be having a tough time. And yeah. uh, and I can tell you, you know, with, with with Unicorn, it wasn't always easy. You know, we we built an amazing business in an amazing space, and we started building this this token economy in 2015, and we put it on the blockchain, we put it on the Ethereum mainnet in 2017. And our business was exploding. You know, Bitcoin had hit twenty thousand, and everything was going great. And then um, twenty eighteen hit, and uh, twenty nineteen, the crypto economy collapsed. And when that happened, everyone looked at us like we're a bunch of idiots. Like, you know, <laughs> the CEO doesn't know what he's doing. Um, you know, he believes in cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, and and now now look at what's going on. And then when that happened, there was like regulation or regulator pressure. We had uh, an inquiry that lasted two years. Uh, with the SEC, that was just like a nightmare, and it wasn't like it wasn't like an investigation or whatever, but it was it was definitely a challenge. It was it was like a legal headache for us that we had to deal with for two years. Even though we did everything right, we we eventually just asked them, you know, what do you want? You know, other than draining our money and 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 hiring lawyers, what do we have to do? And and so they agreed to settle. They said, just just kill the token. We don't like tokens. You know, we'll come up with a way to refund customers. And we said, fine, we'll do that. Um, so we ended up paying six million dollars uh, to 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 settle like a regulatory issue, and then we were allowed to continue to focus on our business. So imagine, you know, all that happening, and then the pandemic hits. So like, <laughs> so many bad things happened uh, to a company that at one point was like the, the the talk of Silicon Valley. You know, with with a number of VCs. And then, uh, and then things just started to turn around for us. We we got like uh, you know four different companies coming to us, making offers, and uh, we had a one-year negotiation with one of the largest entertainment companies in the world. And um, yeah, we ended up getting acquired in August, which is which is awesome. It was a great ending uh, to a you know challenging and fun and entertaining business. Um, like we had ups and downs, and and when we ended up getting acquired. Everybody moved over to this company, so they all have jobs there. They're all doing great. The company is, you know, ended up in a in a really great position. All the investors made money, uh, and they're continuing to make money on it because we have other assets that we acquired along the way. And I'm the only one who who decided to leave, uh, so I could go start something else. So that's great to start talking about the future. So Irreverent Labs. First of all, I love the name. So I'd love to hear about that and then talk about what this is. You're using words like, uh, you know, cryptocurrency and metaverse and blockchain. So what is Irreverent Labs? What is this next venture for you? Yeah, so Irreverent Labs is, uh, is, is a game studio. So yeah, we're, we're, we're launching a game called Mecha Fight Club, which is, a, which is going to be the biggest fight club in the metaverse. And in this game, the, 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 the characters are... Um, what what makes this unique is is that the characters are artificially intelligent NPCs living on the blockchain as NFTs, a really really crazy. But if if you if you know what an NPC in a video game is, it's a non-player character. So have you ever played Grand Theft Auto or uh, or very, very very briefly, very briefly. Okay. So 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 in Grand Theft Auto, you are like the hero character, and then all the characters that are in the background are called NPCs. They're non-player characters that do nothing. So, you know, it, it, as horrifying as it sounds, in Grand Theft Auto, you can go and you can you can uh, you know stop someone in their car, pull them out of their car, beat them up, and then take their car and and drive away with it. Right? The person that you pull out of the car is an NPC, and and they and they you know they they, they get off the ground, they, they 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 raise their fists, and then they go about their day like nothing happened right after that. <laughs> 
That's what an NPC is. NPC are dumb characters inside of a video game. Our game is something completely different where all the characters in the game are artificially intelligent. And so they become smarter over time. And your job as a player is to learn about your characters in these battles that they're put in. And so, um, so it's a highly entertaining, very funny game. And when I say funny, it's sort of like a mix between, um, you know, Mortal Kombat, South Park, and like, you know, other types of humor that that you probably need to be, uh, you need to look at it like from an irreverent standpoint. Um, you know, the reason we call ourselves Irreverent Labs is because, uh, you know, we don't want people to take us seriously when this game comes out. Um, because there's a lot of stuff that happens in there that the community will will run with. And, um, you know, if you are you're highly offended or easily offended, then it could be a problem. But if you're not, then you'll love it. Love it. I think that's incredible. And, you know, look forward to it. And I think some of our listeners will be waiting on, I take it it's going to be global role. So it's going to be out across the globe and, you know, anyone can kind of interact with it and stuff. And I just love the fact that you're owning that message. So, you know, it, if you if you are highly offended or easily offended, then it's probably not for you, which I, which I absolutely love. So we're now going to head into... The, uh, we're calling it a rapid fire round, but it really isn't rapid. So take your time to answer the questions. But we've got three questions that we want to ask you. And the first question is, um, name a leader who you admire, who has inspired you. Well, I'm going to name two, uh, if you don't okay. mind. I, I'm yeah, going to say no. Bill, Bill Gates, clearly because of his, uh, his, his, his dedication to, to giving. And you know, taking a, a, not only a part of his wealth, but all of his time and dedicating it to a foundation is is super inspirational for me. But probably my biggest inspiration is Elon Musk, and uh, there's a number of reasons why. Yeah, I, I just cannot understand how people can be anti-Elon Musk. To be honest with you, I, I I look at, I mean, I own Teslas, so I know what they're like. I I think that this guy not only did he build people look at Tesla and they compare it to Ford or something. You can't look at Tesla and think it's a car company. It's truly a technology company that's using a car as a Trojan horse into, into like making the world better. From a climate standpoint, energy, uh, uh, you know, they've built the largest energy network in the world. They have this amazing neural network that they built um, and they built the, the best car in the world that happens to be electric under the, uh, the thumbs of regulators who tried to stop them, the automotive industry who went after them, the oil and gas industry who tried to kill them, and yet he was able to succeed. And in the meantime, he's also doing space and solar and all these that he's doing. Um, and the reason I find him inspiring is because he, he's been through so many different challenges and was able to get through and succeed in a space that, that is notoriously, has a history of failure. Uh, because of these other industries that have had have, have done very successfully shutting down any innovation in the space up until Tesla changed everybody and changed even other car companies to follow. I love that. Quite, here's our question too. What is the one piece of advice you would give your younger self? Patience. Uh, I think that, well, you know, it's hard to give your, your younger self advice to be empathetic and humble. Because you kind of learn that over time, I guess, right? Because like humility is something you can't teach anybody, uh, and and empathy is also something that takes time, you know, to understand. But patience is something that you should you should teach your young ones uh, as early as possible. You know, I remember like I bought Tesla stock in 2012, and uh, and and prior to that, I was always trading. But you know, like sometimes when you're convicted on something, you just have to be patient. 
markets go up and down, things collapse, things get better. Be patient. And the same thing with uh, you know in, in in cryptocurrency. Like because I'm in Bitcoin, you know I've I've learned patience. Uh, it actually pays off over time. So I I think I think patience is uh, is something that that everybody needs to. Couldn't agree more. I think we live in a world of instant gratification, don't we? Where everything is so, yeah. you know, immediate nowadays that if we have to wait longer than even a second for a web page to upload, we switch it off because it's just irritating. So I completely agree. Patience is definitely something we should embrace much more. And the final question is, what wouldn't we know about you just by looking at you? Well, I, I guess... You, you might not know that I have three kids. One is 24, one is 22, and one is 18. Uh, that's one thing. Um, you know, I, I love dogs, and uh, and I guess you know this is kind of a weird one, but you know, I'm a, I'm South Asian and I live in Seattle, but I I do support the Second Amendment to an extent. So you know, I know it's it's not a normal thing, but you wouldn't you wouldn't guess that. But being in the U.S. and uh, you know, and and where we are and trying to understand the whole sort of history of the Second Amendment, I, I support it uh, to to an extent. Amazing. Yeah. I love that. And you do not look old enough, Raul, because I can see you. And I know <laughs> our listeners can't, but we'll be sharing photos to have a 24-year-old uh, or a 22-year-old yeah. growing up kids. When you mentioned your kids, I was thinking they were toddlers, not grown, uh, no, grown they're adults. Grown, they're grown. Two of them are <laughs> out of school and working. And, you know, one of them works at Microsoft. The other one works at um, one of the larger cryptocurrency exchanges. And then my my youngest son actually helped me with uh, to start a Reverend Labs. So he's, oh. he's learning with me while going to UW. Oh, incredible. So they're all in tech? Your, your boys? Have, tech. Have, have you all got boys? Are they boys? No, this, I have all this is a girl. And then the two youngest are boys. He, you know, we, we and they're all quite creative. Um, but our daughter uh, started, you know, she, she went to STEM school. And so she's she's more art. So you could almost say steam, like if you could yeah. throw art into her her, yeah. uh, her thing. So she's uh, she's pretty creative. And she I think she was it was fortunate for us to be here because she was able to surround herself with some really interesting people that inspired her to get into, you know, STEM. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. And if people want to find out more about the work that you do or if they want to connect with you, where's the best place for them to kind of follow well, you and, and, and learn more? Well, it depends on your age. So if you are <laughs> if you're like a web two type person, you'd find me on LinkedIn. Uh, otherwise, if you if you want to get into the future, find me on Twitter at Rahul Su. Incredible. Great. So so Raul, as we're finishing up, any last words that you want to share with our audience, you know, about what does that, what is the what should they be paying attention to when it comes to the future? Kids, just pay attention to your kids. Honestly, like don't uh, don't try and talk them off of being the computer. Don't try and get them to go, you know, do what you what you think they should be doing. Just try and spend time in their world and understand what it is that they do and why they're doing it. Um, you know, I have a pretty interesting story. Like we have, as I mentioned, we have three kids, and one of our kids, my wife was always worried about our, our middle guy was worried about, um, you know, does he have any friends? Like, you know, as he was growing up, he. You know, everyone was worried that he had no friends because he was always on his computer. And I used to always say, listen, this kid has more friends than anybody because he's, his friends live in like Spain and Portugal and other places around the world because he's playing games with them. And um, and that was true. And and it turned out to be very true. And he's 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 turned out to be an incredible young man who's extremely smart, 
very empathetic and uh, and he's very good at making you know building relationships with people. So parents should stop like worrying about stupid shit and start thinking about what it is that that makes their kids happy and and try and get in their world to understand it, you know, uh, in in a in a more authentic way. I love it. That was a great, great interview. I, I really think that this was, uh, every time we talk to somebody new, we learn so much, Raul. I, I want to thank you no for problem. spending Thanks the time today. Yeah. And yeah. and uh, I think that there's going to be a lot of inspiration uh, from, uh, you know, as our listeners listen in. And uh, uh, I think it's really exciting. I, I'm so excited to see your success and just you're you know paying attention to how you're thinking and what you're involved in, and and I love the fact that that you learn so much from your kids. Uh, I, I think that uh, the fact that one of them inspired you moving into Unicorn, I, I think yeah. that is really kind of cool. Yeah, that's the middle guy. He inspired me to quit Microsoft. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, when, know you're, that. Like, when you're when you're a GM at Microsoft, they they lock you in, right? They give you stocks, and like it's a it's a big step out. It's a huge you know cliff to walk away from, but but yeah, that was that's true. And then and then my youngest now has has got me into this, you know, into Reverend Labs. We worked on it together. He said you should go do this, and uh, and so I did. Um, but yeah, it's just it is uh, it is wild. Wow! Thank you so much for your time today, Rahul. We really appreciate it. All right, take care. 